the limits to this are the limits of our own imaginations and our own self-belief. I don't just believe I know by this point. I've been around long enough and I've witnessed enough to know that that is completely true. Uh, we are the only things in the way of us doing whatever it is that we want to see in the world. Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited today to sit down with Akira the Don, who is a British musician, DJ, and producer. Akira has produced and co-written three UK Top 40 hits and makes music for movies, video games, ad soundtracks, and more. And most recently, Akira has developed a new series of lo-fi music remixes featuring audio clips from lectures and podcasts of people like Jocko Willink, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and Alan Watts, among many others. In fact, Akira produced one of these lo-fi remixes based on my interview with Dr. Jordan Peterson on In the Trenches. In today's conversation, we cover a lot of ground, including Akira's philosophy on art, business, and life, how he got his start in music as a rapper, and how he's ended up one of LA's most popular DJs, what spurred Akira's meaning wave lo-fi remixes, the ones I was just talking to you about, and how he knew it was a winning idea when he published his first remix. We also dig into things like how Akira decides which projects he's going to take on and how he's growing the business side of his art and music. Probably my biggest takeaway from my interview with Akira is his attitude on education and self-improvement. I found that a consistent theme throughout the interview was how Akira embraced this idea of always learning and always becoming kind of the master at what he's working on, whether that was rap when he was a rapper, uh, or in this case, when he's working on his lo-fi remixes, being the best in the world at what he does, and constantly trying to improve and level up his own skill set and just grow and become a better person than he was the day before. And I just think it's a remarkable attitude and something that all of us can really embrace and leverage, whether you're an artist, a writer, or an entrepreneur, business owner, or anything in between. I think this is a great philosophy. So without further ado, let's get to it. So, Akira the Don. Yo. You got to give me the origin of that name. Let's start there. Well, I had my, fir my first rap group was called Crack Village. And we were on tour in the first year of the millennium. It was a beautiful year. And uh, I insisted, because I thought this would help us get better as rappers, that we only communicate in rap throughout the whole tour. So even if we were at a service station ordering a sandwich or whatever, we had to do that in rap. And it worked. And I quickly became very, very good at just improvisational rapping. So I declare I was called Akira at that point. I announced myself to be Akira the Don. I think it was at a service station. And that was that. I was then Akira the Don from that moment forth. Uh, you know, on an interesting kind of, I guess, tertiary note there is this idea of learning in uh, when I when you study a language, immersion is how you learn it. And so I guess rap yeah, there you go. is its own language. Yeah. And that's what you guys were doing. Yeah. And it's amazing how quickly you can become very good at that if, if you have no option but to not do that. And that seems to apply to most things. I've applied that in lots of stuff ever since. But I was going to say, the only reason that band ever got off the ground, we used to rehearse in this basement. And uh, the other guys in the band never wanted to do a gig or record anything or whatever. They always thought we weren't ready yet. And I was like, this, I thought this was ridiculous. So I, I booked as a gig kind of behind their backs. And it was like three weeks. So I was like, right, we have to do a gig in three weeks. If I hadn't booked that gig, we would have never got out of that goddamn basement. But it was just like you have to immerse yourself in the thing and you just have to set sort of targets or goals or whatever that you can't not do. And then you just have to do it. And then it's amazing. Well, it might not be amazing. It might be dreadful, but you're still doing it. And that's the first step to it being amazing. 
And so take us into this because in the creative pursuit, any kind of art writing, you do obviously some really amazing stuff. We'll we'll definitely link up a few of those things in the show notes. But you have your YouTube channels where I found you. Uh, and it's Akira the Dawn. So just go on YouTube, search Akira the Dawn if you're listening to this, and you could check out some of well, some of my favorites are your JBP Wave. Uh, they're like these remixes, this kind of lo- lo-fi hip-hop mixes, and it's really hard to describe if you've never heard it. I don't really know how to describe it, honestly, but it's in this space that I find really interesting, like what you're doing. I've never really seen or come across anything quite like this. So explain to me kind of what this is or what you're doing right now and how you came to be doing it. Well, I have been making music full time since 2004. 2004 was when I first uh, decided to stop waiting for the people in my band who made the music to make the music. I was just basically just I was sick of waiting for other people to make beats for me. I was a rapper. So I taught myself to make my own. So then I was making my own music. And then I uh, rang up my bank and got them to lend me some money um, to fly to America. And within three months, I was signed to Interscope, which was which is a big record label. And uh, and I've been making music full time ever since. Now, I was a rapper and I was producing my own stuff. And after my second album, I realized that in order to make the third album, there was a lot more I had to learn in the world. There was like the first album was about being uh, a child. And the second album was about being a young man and connected, finding one's connection to the whole world. The first album was about being an individual and a sort of sovereign individual child in the face of a world that seems to want to crush individuality. And then the second album was about finding connection to the world as a, as a young man. And I knew the third album, I wouldn't be able to make it until I'd done a whole bunch of stuff and learned a whole bunch of stuff, including becoming a father. So I started just making instrumental music and I spent years making instrumental music and then I realized I basically started wanting to use other vocalists, but I wanted to use vocalists who knew stuff that I didn't. So it was pointless me working with rappers who were younger than me or other singers who were kind of at a similar life experience stage. And I found myself drawn into this world of YouTube lectures and what have you. Uh, I would be DJing. And I would come back from DJing at three in the morning and I would put on YouTube and there would be a Jordan Peterson lecture. And I would also have on a a lo-fi radio channel. And these two things would be sort of playing over each other. And I kept hearing these wonderful little synchronistical musical things. And uh, one night I was watching a Jordan Peterson lecture in which he was discussing how uh, domains of competency and how being really good at something is useful. The whole, like, be a plumber, but be a good one. You know, we need good plumbers out there. We don't need crap ones messing things up, which always made me think of that um, Faulty Towers episode where where he pays for the rubbish uh, handyman, the Irish guys. Anyway, uh, and I made a song, like, almost immediately. It was like, that's a, that's a great song, and I made a song with that. And people disproportionately loved it. Um and then I was like, would it be really ridiculous to do an hour of this stuff? Because I would find that really useful. And maybe other people would too. So I did. And it just seemed like a ridiculous idea. And it, and it was instantly became very popular. And um, I've been doing that sort of stuff ever since. Like, well, I've been doing, like, I release three things a week on my YouTube channel. So I'm doing a lot of that, basically working with speakers and thinkers and treating them as vocalists and taking their speeches and words and sort of cutting them 
and retiming them over music so that it becomes a rhythmic musical piece. And I realized this was something I did a long time ago when I was uh, at school. The way I, I uh, what's the word, practiced? See, because I didn't do it, Re revised, the revision, that was it. I didn't do any revision. What I did was read my notes uh, over ambient music and then played them when I went to sleep. Interesting. And did you find that you, like, you learned better because of that? Yes, basically. That was it. Like, I retained all that information. Like, I still have some of it. And I hear it in the context of the music type thing. So these little repeated rhythm things or things that ended up becoming hooky because they were on music or because of the way you phrase them. This is how, like, you know, Dr. Zeus and all these, like, I'm, you know, I've got this boy. He's five. He's, you know, learning to read and all that. And you find rhythmic stuff sticks so he can recite all of these at dr zeus books and so he's learning to read through that because he recognizes the shape of the words on the on the page and, and he recognizes the words because he knows them rhythmically so i find that th this is aside from being something very pleasant to listen to it's also a very useful educational tool for for sort of getting the wisdom to sink in so that and that's what i'm really curious about like i guess two thoughts when when you started doing this you started you you were already interested in learning from people who are smarter than you basically is kind of what I'm, I'm understanding. You were like looking for people who were like brilliant at what they were doing. You started listening to what they were doing. Yeah. You heard, and then you just kind of stumbled upon this when you had the music kind of playing over the audio and decided to just to essentially test it out. But at the same time, this is something. When is it capture it? Capture it. Yeah. And it, and, yeah. and it sounds like this is something that stemmed from earlier in your life. You would kind of done this stuff already. You would try to kind of like take words and uh lectures or, or again your notes and and put them to uh put it put them to a track right to create something that yeah, i always did it and as part of my song like my first album was full of samples from the prisoner uh i i i made the first online mixtape in 2003 i think it was like no literally no one was doing that at that point and a lot of it was chopped up bits of speeches and stuff over music it was like 70 percent rapping and 30 percent chopped up audio so it's basically I just in this stuff, I'd removed the me rapping or singing and just made really long, really long. Basically, what would have been like a 20 second skit on a regular album, I was making like a 60 minute project of that. Anyway, I was trying to catch and I think a lot of people were doing it at the same time, which is why it kind of caught on. I think a lot of people were listening to these sorts of long form speeches and listening to instrumental music stations lo-fi radio and stuff on youtube at the same time i had so many comments i get them literally every day saying oh my god this is basically my two favorite things this is what i do i listen to these two things at the same time anyway and i spoke about this previously but the fact that youtube rewards long-form content algorithmically that the youtube algorithms want you to be on there as long as possible so if you're listening to a 60 minute jordan peterson lecture it will happily show you another and another and another and if you're listening to a 60-minute lo-fi hip-hop mix, it will happily show you another and another. So these two things have kind of grown and become huge at the same time, purely because, well, mostly because, or certainly hugely because of YouTube's algorithms and YouTube wanting to decimate cable. It created these monsters that are, are causing it great problems ideologically. Yeah, well, what's so interesting is like I think about kind of your work as an art form that I don't know how it could have existed 20 years ago, right? Like it's because of a platform like YouTube, I think it is, has the ability to take off and get traction because in a lot of yeah. ways it's like, yeah, it's so obscure, this extent. you know, 
yeah, yeah, which is really fascinating. And it's interesting because seeing the comments on these videos, number one is, yeah, the tens of thousands of views you get on these, maybe hundreds of thousands on some of your videos. And then mm -hmm. the comments, like, it was like you put one up recently, it was like, in like 24 hours, it was like hundreds of comments. And these are like people like, this is like, I'm crying listening to this and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. it's really powerful. And normally like, you know, YouTube is like really uh, negative comments and like a bunch of haters and trolls and stuff like that. And it's like, all this stuff is really positive. I'm just, obviously- Mine's you know, like 100% positive. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, I like I've get, I'm getting more haters now than I used to, but it's, which is good, you know. Haters is a sign that you're doing something useful in the world and that you're popping. But it's still ridiculously, especially for YouTube, small. As you look at any of these videos, it's like 99% just people crying and like, this has changed my life. Thank you so much. And the occasional person and the only per the people who don't like it, usually people who have uh, an ideological issue with whoever the subject is. And they're just there just to just to say their mean little thing. Well, that brings me to my next question is how do you decide who you're going to, um, you know, uh, take, take clips from like, uh, in terms of like the audio at the, the, the actual, like the vocal tracks, uh, so to speak. It's just whoever I'm interested yeah. in for the most part. And like, you know, there's, I mean, I have an Evernote of, of hundreds of people and talks I want to do. I have, I have a bit like a big queue, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, there's a ton of people I'm very interested in. But what I'm kind of trying to do is talk about the big subjects that are important to our culture right now and look at them from different perspectives. Uh, so this is why I've introduced Alan Watts recently and I've been doing some Alan, Alan Watts ones because Alan Watts talks about a lot of the same stuff as, say, Peterson uh, or whoever else is important in the cultural conversation right now. But he's looking at them from a different perspective. So what I'm trying to do is look at issues like... Uh, determinism or free speech or, or you know the individual or whatever it is and look at them from different perspectives so that you can get you know I d i'm not interested in just like going okay this one guy has all the answers let's just listen to this one guy and base it all because that's never going to work one person might have the answers for one subject but anyway so I'm, I'm trying to look at these things from lots of different perspectives in order to help myself and anyone else who happens to be on this journey and listening to this stuff to be able to have a more nuanced uh way of dealing with the world yeah and i'm curious like so when when you approach these uh, where's how do you navigate the the territory of creative versus business kind of together like because obviously you know there's art and there's business and i i don't think these things have to be mutually exclusive i think they can work together yeah i'm just curious how you navigate that landscape especially kind of being you know, doing this thing that's kind of unique. It's not like you can follow like somebody else who's already trotted down this path and, and do the things they're doing. Uh -huh. you're, you're, you're kind of paving new way in this space. It, it feels like, it seems like. So how do you navigate? Yeah, I, yeah there isn't anyone else doing that. Um, I was very bad at this for a while. Artistic people, apparently, I've recently discovered like uh, a high in openness, right? And are more likely to lean to the left and are more likely to be less sort of business minded and for many years i was a bit rubbish on that on that angle and uh this would be to do with my kind of like naive um turbo socialist working class upbringing where you're taught that money is evil and that you know if you're doing something you should just do it for yourself and if anyone else likes it it's a bonus and so on and so forth and I, I was cursed with that affliction for some years before uh, what really helped me sort of break out of it and and become a lot more useful in the world was having my son. And then, you know, I'm, I'm the sole 
uh, breadwinner. I have a wife and a child who depend on me. We live in, a, in America and I have the visa, so my wife can't legally work. So I, I have to support my family. And, you know, you can't just be like wishy-washy out there in the world hoping that some money comes because you're making good stuff. You have to have to have a plan and you have to put in systems and you have to uh, work very hard and create an actual sustainable business around what you're doing, which is now what I've done. I was literally thinking about this on the way in that I'm now really at the point and it's amazing. Everything is paid for by the music that I make and play. So I make music in the day and here in the studio and I and I DJ at night and that pays for everything and I support my family off that. And that's amazing. But it yeah, you, you uh it took a lot of mental uh growth and sorting out and fixing and rearranging and a lot of killing a lot of stupid ideas that were buried in me from my youth and from my parents and from the things I saw as a child. So there was a lot of burning dead wood and a lot of burning off what, what I thought when I was younger were kind of integral parts of my personality or whatever, but it turned out weren't and were useless and were causing me harm and pain and harm and pain to those around me. So yeah, now, now it's a lot better. I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I think it does. And I, I think I was going to, I was going to jump and say, yeah, it's burning off the deadwood because I know you've been you've been listening to the stuff that you're you're putting out, obviously. And, and well, yeah, you exactly. be, <laughs> you know, that's the wonderful awesome. thing about it. And, and, and you should you know, I, I try and be smarter every day and I always have and I try and be better every day and I always have. And then you start applying that to every aspect of your life and your whole health and your mental health and your sort of financial health. And all of these things are very important. You can't save the world if you yourself are in a mess and you can't do much use if you're broken scrabbling around for for pennies all the time and worrying about gas bills and things it's it's really like that there's nothing there's no there's no morality in that there's no virtue in that there's no virtue in sort of being broken moaning about the system uh there there is virtue in in supporting people and helping your community and making yourself the best version of yourself you can possibly be so that you're in a position to do good in the world. And this is something I wish I'd had uh, a finer handle on earlier. I'm not one for regrets or what have you, but if I could go back in time, I would advise my younger self to focus on making himself uh, financially strong before worrying about lots of other stuff. Yeah, and and I, I definitely I see where you're coming from. I have those same kind of thoughts too. But like you, I don't think I regret a lot of things. I do just look at it and say, well, that would have been uh, more convenient to have maybe implemented <laughs> or known earlier, right? But there's something to be said for the path that you take and how it got you to where you are. Yeah. And to, yeah, exactly. To have, yeah, to have done the things you've done, to have tested things, to experiment it, and it sounded like <clears throat> you've always had uh, at least something in your personality or character was always built on this, like maybe this idea uh, or philosophy of like constant learning. It sounds like that's what I'm hearing yes. from you. And you've yeah, always definitely. been trying to master new things and try new things. I mean, it's kind of cool to really to hear that because I think a lot of people, they wish, uh, you know, they wish for something great. Like I want, I want, I would love to be doing what Akira is doing, but then it's like you, what you're not seeing is behind the scenes of the days, the weeks, the months, the years compounded over time of the work you're doing. Um, day in and day out, which of course is the, it's the work. It's the real work that has to be it done. It is the work. And yeah, and I work 14 hours a day minimum and uh, pretty much always have. I mean, I left home when I was 15 and I left school because I wasn't learning enough in school and I wanted to be out in the world and I wanted to go and, you know, be making music and be 
and I, this, I wanted to create this life that I wanted. And I lived in Wales, which in, in the mountains, in a sleepy place. And I wanted to be in the city. I was literally, again, I was thinking this on the way here. I'd forgotten the way I got to London and I wanted, you know, London is where the British music industry is. So I was like, all right, I need to go to London. The way I got to London was I got a train to London. I didn't live in London. I, I hardly knew anyone in London. I'd been down to a few gigs. I knew one girl. She said I could stay with her if I wanted. I went to her house and she's like, oh, actually, you can't stay with me. Sorry, I've got a boyfriend. So, okay. So I've got this bag and got like no money. I had like 10 pounds or something. So I just sort of went wandering around London and I eventually like got chatting to some vagrants who were selling travel cards uh, at a tube station who were, who were, incidentally were, were Scottish. This guy's like, oh, hey. You can. He's like, oh, well, you go to like, oh, you can come stay at our club if you want for a little bit. You can come stay at our house. Da, da, da. And I instantly, he when I spoke to him, instantly kind of put on a fake Scottish accent because he was also Scottish. And I'd been doing door-to-door gas sales previously, and they'd I'd learned I'd learned a Scottish accent because apparently regional accents do better in sales. And I'd learned a Scottish accent from reading Irvin Welsh's Train Spotting, which is written phonetically, and I'd read that out loud. So I taught myself a Scottish accent. So I instantly jumped into a Scottish accent when I was talking to this guy. And then I ended up staying with this guy for three months and having to pretend to be Scottish for three months. But I was staying with this guy in this squat and it was him and a bunch of junkies. So they were all junkies and they were all banging up smack all the time, which was ridiculous because I'd been reading this bloody Irvin Welsh book, which is about that. So I'd somehow manifested some real life junkies in London who let me stay with them and they gave me this mattress in the corner of their squat which no one else was allowed to touch because they all had lice. So it was like, oh, don't touch that Marcus. That's his Marcus. Like, he's going to be a big pop star. So just like, leave him alone. He's the future right there. He's a beautiful boy. Look at him. He's so cute. So I did that for three months and uh, was in London. And every day I would go out and try and get a job. And I eventually, I don't know, eventually, after like about a week, got a job at a PR firm, uh, getting coffee and stuff like that. And I very quickly then got a job at an online, uh, an emerging online music website. And I got the job by going in and telling them that I wrote for a music magazine that existed, which I didn't. And so I just lied and they gave me a job. And then within three months, I was the news editor of this very successful, this big emerging online music magazine. And that's how I got into like London in the music industry. Yeah. And I was like, I just turned 18 at that point. So it's like you can't like I don't know and yeah and it's very ridiculous sort of it's just all very ridiculous when I look back all the ways that I've got ahead and got into stuff it's always by doing ridiculous things like that with no resources. Did you ever feel like quitting or throwing in the towel like any times where it came up and it's like this just isn't going to work? Not really. There was a point, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was signed to Interscope, which is the biggest record label on earth. And I made an album for them. And then they were like, well, the lyrics on this are highly contentious. Uh, you're going to have to change them. We're not releasing this record as it is. And at that point, Buster Rhymes was on the label and had recorded three albums for them and they hadn't released it. And I was like, well, if Buster Rhymes isn't getting an album out, like what's going to happen to me? So I was like, all right, I'm leaving. And I had a song in this movie called My Super Ex-Girlfriend uh, with Uma Thurman in it. And that there was a lot of money in that. So I basically bought the album back with that. And at that point for, you know, for maybe about four hours, I felt like sick and scared and like almost sort of suicidal. I suppose it was like, well, you know, cause there'd been so much stuff written like, Oh, amazing. Akira, the Dawn going to be the biggest thing in the world ever. Da da da. You know, local press and stuff. 
So there was this, and that the only thing was like the fear of what other people would think. But I very quickly got over that and got through that and sort of took control of my own destiny and, and forged uh, my own way of releasing and making music, which is what I've been doing ever since in various ways. What I'm doing now is kind of the latest sort of incarnation of me uh, finding a way to make music, express myself and, and, and live in this world. Yeah, and this doesn't sound like I don't think you're you're not with a record label right now, right? At least for the stuff. No, you're, I'm, not, I'm not anything doing everything. So, so essentially, you're kind of essentially building your own record label. Yeah. Are you? Is that? Do you have any ambitions to do something like that? Is that the direction? Well, I am doing heading? that, and I have yeah. done that. Yeah. Okay. So I have. Yeah, I have a label. I've built a whole and this whole thing, and I seem to be building a, a sort of genre and a community and yeah. stuff here. That's that's cool. Well, where does that go? To the moon. There is no limit to where it can go. There's no limit to any of this. It's really exciting, right? We're at this. We're still in the in the absolute infancy of the internet and what this all means. Us all being connected like this and all being able to reach each other like this, and all of us having access to technology, which means we can create anything. Like the limits to this are the limits of our own imaginations and our own self belief. I, I don't just believe. I know by this point. I've been around long enough, and I've witnessed enough to know that that is completely true. Uh, we are the only things in the way of us doing whatever it is that we want to see in the world. Mm, I love that. That's powerful. So let me ask you one last question before we kind of wrap up here is as you kind of look into the future and kind of the, and, and where you're coming from, like in the past, so kind of looking at your past, look in the future, uh-huh. you're in a position now, as you mentioned, where it's like, okay, you can, you can pay the bills, you can provide for your family. You have this presence online and this community, it seems like, that's kind of being built up and formed, at least within YouTube itself, of people that are really into your mm-hmm. work and, and what you're doing. And you, you mentioned that you did have to burn off a lot of Deadwood, burn off a lot of these bad ideas, which I don't know if they were art, or if those were also artistically related. But I'm curious now, with the position you're in, how do you navigate in terms of like the next steps? I know you mentioned there's a lot of stuff you have on your desk. Like, okay, these are all the things I would like to be doing. But in terms of like right now, how do you uh-huh. actually, because I'm guessing you're probably getting more and more opportunities. Like every day, you're probably getting solicited a lot, I would think. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really curious if anybody's kind of, if there's any um, labels that would be coming after you to work with you again or, or bring you in or anything like that. Like, But how do you specifically navigate that kind of territory and decide, yep, these are the, these are the things I'm going to take on. Like, Again, I, I from the perspective of an artist who's also like running a business and, and doing your thing. Like, I'm really curious mm-hmm. how you balance that with with the position you're at right now. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a lot more planned. I have plans now. I used to sort of like bobble around like a like a like a ball in a pinball machine. I suppose I had like an idea of the, that I wanted to win the game, perhaps, or I wanted to get to the top of the pinball table, but I was just sort of like just banging around. I was kind of reactive before, I guess. Uh, so I'm a lot less reactive now. And I think that's the thing is to be less reactive and more, uh, you know, you decide where you want to go and what the steps are to get there. Well, actually you just, and reverse engineering, you know, so you go, okay, this is one stage that we want to get to. What are the steps to take to get to that stage? And then the things that come along, do they fit in that or do they not? And things come along and they seem like they could be fantastic opportunities. But if they do not fit that reverse engineered path and, you know, upon looking at them from multiple angles, if they're not going to help, then you can't do them. Right. Uh, That's the thing. And it's also like, you know, sticking to the script and consistency, like consistency is a massive thing. It's always been a massive thing. 
but increasingly now in this online world where attention spans are uh, decimated to an extent just in the I don't know just in the way that we see that we feel time online you know I put out something a week ago and that feels like months ago you know I put out something on Friday I put out this Jocko mix on Friday it feels like an age ago and it was it was a great thing and everybody enjoyed it and Jocko Willink this is who if you haven't spoken to you should obviously uh tweeted it multiple times and loved it and that, and that was great but it that felt it feels like such a long time ago now so i have to be releasing things at least three times a week and even that feels like not enough and that's got to increase um but at the same time i'm also working i have my proper album i have all these other projects i have uh my dj career which i'm taking to i'm sort of leveling that up uh i'm off to be vegas billboard guy that's part of the thing i'm trying to be the greatest open format dj producer on earth which means when when you're in the club and i'm djing i'm giving you the most incredible experience there for being in the club but then when you get home you can go to my youtube channel and you can put on source wave radio and listen to the perfect indoors music and if you want to expand your mind a bit you can put on my meaning wave mixes and you can get smarter and happier and what have you and and if you're in the gym, that there's music to to inspire you there. You know, I'm trying to create the soundtrack for people's lives, wherever they are, on on the on the most peak level possible. I'm trying to create the peak soundtrack for the movie that is your life, and that's everything I'm doing is to to achieve that. So anything that so to answer your question, anything that doesn't fit into that, that's what you don't do, and you work out the the maxim the things that maximize achieving that in the most hyper-efficient fashion possible because this is an incredible amount of work creating all this stuff bettering oneself constantly getting smarter getting better at everything getting better at being a dj getting better at being a producer getting better at creating the content creating better visuals understanding more just navigate in this meaning wave stuff navigating these smart people's words and thoughts and putting them together correctly and musically is in itself a ridiculous task. You know, you, these, these are people, say, say Peterson, you know, he's been thinking about these issues for 40 years. A lot of these things. He's been thinking about these things for 40 years. And that will lead to, you know, maybe six minutes of him speaking about it. But there's 40 years that have gone into that. And you really have to respect that. And you have to get it right when you put it together and, and, and put it out. So that that's a big responsibility. And I'm... I'm, I'm really trying to live up to that consistently. I love it. Well, Akira, where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, listen to your music, support your work? Um, please point them in the right direction for those who are listening to this podcast right now. Akira, the Don and everything. So whichever is your preferred bit of the internet to live in, because it's not the internet now, it's lots of little, little mini internets. It's like Los Angeles. You know, it's lots of little connected lily pads and people kind of stay there and don't necessarily leave. So that's fine. So if you're not a YouTube person, uh, that's cool. You can find all my music wherever you might be, whether that's Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes or I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. I'm everywhere. So wherever you are, just look for Akira the Don, A-K-I-R-A-T-H-E-D-O-N. And I will be there and I'll be creating something useful for that area of the of the world and for you. I love it. Well, Kira, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. It was a pleasure having you. Yo, beautiful to be here, brother. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches.
If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes. That's T-O-M-M-O-R-K-E-S dot com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for In the Trenches. Not only do I read and appreciate every review, but it helps spread the word of this podcast and allows me to continue to get on great guests. So thank you for your support, and I'll catch you on the next broadcast of In the Trenches.